Welcome to another edition of the Engineering Leadership Podcast, where we bring together successful C-suite executives to explore their stories at the intersection of leadership and engineering. We believe leaders are built, not born. And by nailing the constants, we can build strong, engineering-focused leaders who are prepared for future success. Each interview was led by Doug Hawk, chemical engineer, business executive, and the creator of Engineering Leadership. I'm Ben Fanning. Let's get started. And welcome back to the show. I have Matt Needy, who is Vice President of Navy Programs for Huntington Ingalls Industries, which is America's largest military shipbuilding company and a provider of professional services to partners in government and industry. Matt obtained his bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering, and he chose optimism as his topic. And here is your three bullet summary. Number one, optimism creates a highly motivated workforce. Number two, a part of being optimistic is having a well-thought-out plan. And then number three, being conscious and self-aware helps you not give in to emotions. Enjoy this episode. Hello, I'm your host, Doug Hawk, for another episode of Engineering Leadership. Thanks for joining us today. Excited to introduce Matt Needy who's joining us today to talk about optimism. Matt's the Vice President of Navy Programs for Huntington Ingalls Industries, America's largest military shipbuilding company and a provider of professional services to partners in government and industry. Matt obtained his bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from Clemson. And as I mentioned, he's chose optimism as our topic for today, which is, is certainly one of my favorites of the entire framework and something I consider very fundamental to being able to lead anybody. Um, so, Matt, thanks for joining us and uh, taking some time to talk about this today. I look forward to today, Doug. Uh, I'm honored to be a part of this program, so appreciate being uh, being asked to be a part of it. Yeah, and, and I just to start us out, like, you know, thinking back, obviously, um, you know, we're, we've both been at this a while now. So when did you see, when did it become sort of a, a part of your awareness from a leadership standpoint? Just that importance of a positive outlook and having optimism, obviously, most importantly, in the face of situations where there probably wasn't a lot of obvious reasons to have optimism is where I've found it to be most useful. Um, right. When did that when did that first start clicking for you? Well, I think when I started uh, really when I first started leading people and, and irrespective of how many people you lead, um, you know, optimism is essential for you to motivate that team. And nobody really wants to work for a pessimistic person. You know, uh, so uh, uh, a lot about leading a team of people, whether it's 25 people or 25,000, like here at Newport News, um, you know, it's really about motivating those people and really about having uh, a highly motivated workforce, really working to a set of high standards and really a strategy. And that optimism comes in because they have to believe uh, and be motivated by that strategy and where the company's going. And so I, you know, uh, optimism as a part of that leader conveying uh, that optimism and really instilling it in the rest of the workforce. And uh, so uh, to me, it's foundational to, to, to motivating that workforce, whether you have 25 or 25,000. Yeah, no, great point. I think the, um, and, you know, from a, 
as an engineer and, and maybe tell us a little bit about how you came into engineering and got interested in engineering at Clemson. And then, you know, talk us a little bit about how sort of determining to be optimistic might be a little bit different for an engineer. You know, we tend to be data driven. Sometimes the data can be painting a pretty rough picture and which, you know, I think the engineering traits that many of us have is to just, you know, obviously trust the numbers, understand the numbers and proceed on that basis. And sometimes I've found that where optimism gets injected most importantly is like, okay, if I just go by the numbers, this isn't going to work, but I know it has to work. So I've got to find a way to be positive about that. Any just, you know, your personal perspective on getting through that thought process? Yeah. Um, to me, to be optimistic about something, you have to believe in it. And, um, I believe a basis for optimism really starts with being real. Uh, a Navy Admiral once told me that, uh, you know, first have, you have to get real, then you can get better. So you got to really know where you are. Uh, uh, and then you got to be able to develop a plan uh, about how to get from A to B. So uh, to me, um, part of being optimistic is about engineering that plan. Uh, having a well thought out plan, knowing where you are, knowing where you have to be, knowing the risks that are in front of you to be able to get there, uh, and what you're going to do to mitigate this risk. And you know, I, to me, looking at the system as a whole, uh, as, as engineers do, um, and you gotta you gotta have that well thought out plan, and then really your your optimism about that plan uh, and how well thought out that is, how well engineered that is. Uh, really starts to exude into the organization that you're leading, and if you believe it, then they're gonna they're they're gonna believe it. And uh, so, uh, being optimistic about that strategy or how you're gonna solve whatever challenge you're up to, no matter what the data says, uh, right. how we're gonna engineer our way and solve for that gap. Uh, that's that's what I really enjoy about my job every day because it, it I, I have some big complex hairy carry challenges that we uh, deal with in, in the in, in shipbuilding. And so it's to, to me, it's it's fun. It's interesting. And uh, it's that's what makes my day day job exciting. So. Well, you guys are certainly. Uh, yeah. You, you know, I, I, I saw your uh, you did a launch video, I think, for one of the Virginia class uh, subs that you guys put out a couple years ago. I watched it. I'm just looking at the thing going, you know, I, I, I well, the only conversation we've had that's probably equally uh, complex is with uh, with Charlie, you know, us back to the yard talking to her about the base launch system and the, you know, all right. the new engineering they've done. But other than that, and probably equivalent, I, I'd say the you know the stuff your building's on on par with that stuff. Um, yeah, it's a, you got to check out just uh, if, if you're interested. Uh, it's pretty amazing. A really neat video just last week. Uh, we did a shock test, a full-scale shock test on the newest carrier out there off uh, off the coast of the Carolinas. So you can actually go on YouTube, and it's Ford-class shock trials, and you can actually look at uh, setting off charges beside our brand-new carrier and seeing how that performs in, in harm's way. So pretty pretty cool stuff. Oh, that's awesome. How, how do you see, you know, how do you take the – Obviously, I think we've talked about the importance of optimism, but how do you operationalize that with with such a large workforce, with hugely complex projects? Obviously, throughout any given day, I got to imagine you have many sub teams and sub teams under them that are encountering, you know, their own challenges and problems. Um, what are your some of your approaches to sort of permeating that sense of optimism from the top 
and making sure it gets into those work teams, work groups, individual, pro, you know, all the many sub projects that are obviously contributing to that massively complex piece of equipment that rolls out at the end. Yeah, a lot of that is similar to what we just we talked about and sort of setting that plan uh, for each of the programs. And, I'll, you know, for today in the yard, we, we have five carriers in some state of construction or overhaul. Uh, about to get a sixth one here within the next 30 days. We've got about uh, 16 submarines uh, under construction. So there's a lot of activity, a lot of moving parts. And so for each one of those, you know, as you said, you got teams of people that are working and accountable at all levels. You got engineering, you got uh, supply chain folks, logistics, um, uh, folks on the deck plate that are, are, are building the ships every day. And each of those teams really understanding clarity around that objective. Where are we today? Where do we need to be? What are the challenges associated with that? Um, understanding um, really when that ship has to be delivered back to the Navy. Uh, you know, the Navy's very more so uh, than ever, probably in my 30-year career, uh, the demand for these ships is is uh, at uh, high given what, what's occurring out there in the world with uh, our adversaries. And, and so a lot of the ships we're delivering are you know, already scheduled to be deployed for deployed and replace a ship that's already out there. And you got crew members and, uh, you know, Navy sailors that are wanting to get home to their families. And uh, so part of that is connecting that whole team that's on that ship, understanding where they are, where they have to be, and the importance of that get, getting that ship delivered, no matter whether you're a 40-year master shipbuilder or you're a brand new employee and, and how what they do every day sort of fits into that. Um, so... I think a lot of focus is on clarity of expectations, uh, understanding where the gaps are, solving for those gaps, uh, understanding where the risks are, mitigating those risks, and then really uh, uh, constantly celebrating those wins. We, we, we tend to break down, you know, like a submarine might take uh, five to six years to build, a carrier six to seven years to build. And so you got to really break that down into its constituent pieces and really understand each step of the process and really celebrate those wins such that you, um, the team really, shipbuilding is a lot about teamwork and momentum. And, uh, you know, once you get that momentum, people want to, you know, and, and get everybody sort of rallying around that, that goal or that objective. Um, people don't want to let the sailors down. They don't want to let the Navy down. Uh, they don't want to let their teammates down. And uh, so I think a, a lot of that optimism is about seeing, seeing that plan uh, and celebrating the wins as we get closer and closer to that. And then when we come across a challenge, knocking that thing down and getting back on track. Yeah, no, that's, that's great advice. I mean, I think the, when you mentioned 30 years experience in this business, what, what are, and the increased demand, obviously, in tempo, it sounds like, I mean, I, that's a lot of, that's a lot of activity at once. Um, what's changing about, you know, Across that 30 years, what are the big changes in, in industry, whether it's technology, design, teamwork, that gives you a sense of optimism for your industry, which is obviously critical to our, our national defense in so many ways? Yeah, I, I really, it's the to me, it's the excitement of all the new technology that's coming in, how we're starting to pl- apply that, and, and the speed at which it's being applied. Um, a lot of the... Uh, designs that we had, uh, whether they be the Los Angeles class submarine design or the Nimitz class carrier design, right. uh, were really more paper-based sort of, you know, traditional 
blueprints and things like that. It was it, it was not the shipbuilding processes that we use today. The newest uh, Virginia class submarine, the the, the Columbia class ballistic um, missile submarine, and uh, the new Ford class carrier, all digitally based designs and disclosures. And so we're using things like um, we've actually got uh, something we call integrated digital shipbuilding. And so everything from the design modeling all the way through how we disclose work on the deck plate is done digitally and capturing knowledge from those shipbuilders wherever we have uh, issues in quality or safety. We're capturing that and feeding that back so we can um, improve uh, the next time we go execute that. Uh, in the concept designs, we're using like set-based design uh, uh, tools that uh, in the past you'd use a traditional design spiral. So we might take two or three concepts and spend years really working with the Navy to uh, assess their mission needs and sort of spiral those designs to hone in on the final design. Today, we're looking at millions of different design permutations based upon what the key performance parameters of that ship are, what, what the adversary is doing. And we can, in a matter of an hour or to rerun those based upon, and help really optimize uh, around what the Navy's needs are. So, you know, that's that's in the front of the business. And then um, obviously the data analytics and uh, things like the generative designs. So we're, we're, um, we've, we've got a big uh, added manufacturing arm. I know Clemson's, I've been down there and talked with some of the folks down there about what they're doing in this space. Um, but uh, we're actually able to manufacture components that we were previously not able to. You, you can imagine on a submarine where stealth and uh, noise reductions are, are paramount. Uh, now we can engineer those and, and really manufacture, uh, generative, use generative design to generate, uh, you know, valves and valve bodies and things like that that uh, previously were not even possible. So uh, it's just uh, everywhere you look, uh, it's uh, pretty amazing what's going on and the speed at which it's occurring. Really Do you see that translating into, I mean, you said six, seven years to build a carrier. Do you think that will, you think that will compress timeline wise or will we just use the time more efficiently, as you say, to sort of, you know, optimize that, that outcome, you know, for more capability, I guess, you know, it's always the classic triangle, right. Of cost, time, right. capability, right. And how much do you trade off one to sort of build out the other? Yeah, I, we're certainly looking at, um, we have what we call the uh, 831 rule. So, uh, it, and when you're uh, early on, what costs a dollar to do early on in the process in the shops where you have access to it, as you start to build it into modules and units that we're putting together, it costs $3 because of the travel time and, and the complexities with materials you need cranes and things of that nature right. or staging. And then uh, once we assemble the ship and put it in the water, if I have to go through the hatch and, and load material, it costs $8. So we're actually, a lot of this technology, we're now going to the eight, three, one and a, and a half because we're able to actually improve the efficiency of that whole process and pull things back to the left. So we are seeing opportunities and have objectives set out there for each of these platforms on how to build them more efficiently and faster using a lot of this new technology. Uh, that's, that's, that's great to hear. Um, what, you know, back to sort of the optimism topic, um, you know, and I, I've had to sort of develop this myself for many years where, I, you know, I, I tell folks like, 
you know, when you're in a leadership role and you're having a bad day, because we all have, you know, how important it is to sort of isolate that from your team. Because, you know, if you catch a cold, everyone else gets the flu in terms of, you know, sort of that self-management of like, hey, you know, because, you know, it's not, it's, it's naive to think, you know, you don't have bad days. We all do. But maybe comment a little bit on the importance of sort of making sure that that doesn't, you know, when you're having those days, you're thoughtful about it, conscious of it, and then making sure that you don't, you know, you don't go walk around the yard and ruin everybody else's day. Because if you're having a bad day, obviously, that's what happens, right? And you have to be aware that, like, you just can't allow that to happen because, it, you know, it impacts the whole team. No, that's a, that's a great question, Doug. And, and you know, um, to me, I'm, I'm naturally sort of a half half full kind of person. I, I come to, to work every day excited about what I'm doing. So, uh, and like I said earlier, I, I really um, kind of lean into hard problems. And, and a lot of those hard problems are the things that sort of cause people to be a de- uh, have a bad day. Sometimes I get excited by them because, I, I mean, it's really an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity uh, to, 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 to get better. And, and, but, but you're exactly right. If, if I'm coming out of a, just learn some bad news and then I'm going in another meeting and I'm trying to maintain that optimism, maintain that momentum that we talked about, yeah. um, you know, and, and shipbuilding is full of complexities as, as you can imagine. Um, so I think, um, a lot of it is being very conscious of, uh, everything from what you say, emails, to even your body language in meetings, uh, people are watching how you're responding to what they say, how they present a problem. And I think you got to be very conscious of the signals that you're sending, uh, uh, you know, almost overtly. And uh, so a lot of times, you know, uh, as I've got some bad news or something, I'll force myself before I go into the next engagement to really take a deep breath and sort of remind myself that I can't carry that with me. If I have an email that I'm responding to, sometimes if it's, you know, uh, I'm, I'm uh, not happy with the news that I got, I'll take a minute and uh, make sure I'm responding in the correct, correct way. And then again, I'm, uh, um, I'm very conscious of the signals I'm sending, whether I'm in a meeting or uh, on a WebEx, you know, or a Zoom meeting. Uh, because uh, it, uh, it it's very important. I, we I actually use uh, I forgot where I picked this up, but I think one of the leadership training we use something called a T chart, and and I kind of reflect on that at the end of the day. And there's two columns, very simple. Did what I do today, did that interaction, whether it be an email, a presentation, uh, or an engagement with a, a face-to-face engagement, did that help or hinder uh, the objectives of the company? And, uh, you know, you, you kind of self-reflect on how many things wound, wound up in that hinder column. And, and, and a lot of, I use that a lot with coaching with my staff of, of uh, hey, is that really the way we responded? What, what, what was the objective you were trying to achieve there of responding that way? And, and, you know, now what are we going to have to do to sort of get that back in the box? Um, so I think just being self, self-aware, uh, um, you know, 24-7 it's a, it, as a leader, uh, even when you're out in the community. You know how you're talking about the shipyard. I mean, neighbors. Uh, it uh, in social media today. A lot of that can um, uh, get away from you very quickly. So always being on on point 24/7, which is uh, it, it. Once you get sort of the habit of doing it, it becomes sort of natural to what you do and and how you communicate. Yeah, no, that's that's a that's a great that's a great tip. We're gonna I'll I'll build on that. I mean, I it, that's a great one to add. I, I do the. 
I, I love that at the end of the day, what I do at the beginning, I, I call it my man in the mirror test at the beginning of the day. Like, well, you know, I shave, so I'm clean shaven and got that moment every morning, right? Where there's nobody there, but you, and you sort of have that moment of self-reflection going, well, you know, I can either, this can be a great day or it can be a bad day, but you know, it starts right now. Right. And if you, right. if you don't win that battle with the man in the mirror first, then you got no hope the rest of the day. Right. So yeah. making sure that, you know, and the beauty of it is what I tell folks is no one can take, no one can make that decision for you, but no one can take it away from you either. Like you make that. Yeah, completely agree. That's something that's completely in your control, your actions and how you respond. Um, and I think you don't have to be able for personal interactions. I, you know, I learn as much in how I interact with my wife and my family and, and, and doing those same things. Uh, so I think it's a, uh, uh, that's a simple, simple rule of thumb that uh, uh, is easy to apply to your personal life as well as your professional life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, shifting a little bit as we're, you know, obviously we're directing these these, these discussions at, at early career or, or even, you know, students, young engineers, those about to become engineers. Um, any advice, you know, as you think about sort of how to be proactive at that stage of, of your career, of your education on these topics in terms of getting exposure to, you know, goal setting, leadership, soft skills. You mentioned EQ versus IQ earlier, which I think is, you know, certainly where we see a, a big area of development early on with, with young leaders or, or young engineers who aspire to be leaders. Um, any tips or tricks or advice you give it to folks that, that helped you along the way in those, in those ways? Yeah, I, I think it's sort of stretching those muscles, you know, earlier, being self-aware and stretching those muscles earlier. And, and um, uh, I think Clemson, just I interact with a lot of colleges, Virginia, Virginia Tech, uh, you know, uh, University of Virginia up here in our local area, a lot of the North Carolina uh, colleges as well. And I think Clemson does an exceptional job. And, and, and this series is really a testament to, to that, that uh, um, that. As you, early in your career, you have to be work on your EQ or your emotional intelligence as well as your uh, IQ. And uh, uh, so I think doing things that sort of test that, whether you're uh, involved at school and uh, various clubs or in taking leadership roles there and starting to apply some of that in those, in, in those voluntary areas. I think when you're going out and uh, doing internships, um, and uh, looking for those cues, looking for good examples and bad examples, and actually having those discussions with a leader. Find a confident in the business that you're working in and engage that leader and get their perspective or uh, let, let them know that that's important to you and you know that that's important to be a successful leader in a business. Um, and then obviously there's there's a lot of great books and, and uh, um, you know, ebooks and podcasts out there that you know, uh, around leadership and, and really uh, leveraging those. And I, I think the podcasts that you all have here are going to be a good collection of sort of springboards into a lot of those topics and a lot of those resources. So that that's just some examples uh, that uh, I would put out there that uh, I would, if I were back in school again, I'd take, probably take more advantage of that based on what I know today. Right. Well, thanks for those. Um, in terms of your personal journey, you know, what do you have a, and I think the in our Tony Mathis discussion, he 
he, he conveyed his answer to this, and he said, "Let me t- let me open up by telling you this is not a this is not a good news story." <laughs> so it was. Uh, oh, it, what was your? Do you have a single most important lesson as a leader that sort of stuck with you that you could share that sort of, you know, shaped your your uh, your outlook and your journey along the way in a particularly you know important way? Yeah, well, there's. It, Certainly, there's some things that 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 I kind of hold true and standards that I've kind of learned, um, and uh, um, and then there's also I, certainly failures. Um, right. you, know, um, you know, one of the things that uh, we say is, uh, uh, you know, to be a learning organization, you, you know, you want to discover, you want to celebrate failure, and we say we only want to celebrate uh, original mistakes. So yeah. we want to yeah. learn from those. That, uh, um, so if you're a learning organization, yeah, so, uh, yeah, yeah, don't, don't repeat those. Uh, uh, but, uh, so how do you embody those? How do you make sure you learn from those going, going forward? But philosophically, you know, I, I, uh, um, I think from a, uh, a career standpoint, I've always said two things. I said, you always want to keep your motives pure. So, you know, to, to be a trust as a leader, um, you can have the best strategy. You can be the optimistic, most optimistic person. But if, you know, you haven't done your homework and people don't trust you, you're not making decisions for the right reason or maybe self-serving for your career. Uh, so you, you always want to keep your most. Why am I, you know, am I making this decision on the best interest of whether it be the taxpayer, the Navy, the company, the shareholders, our people, our community? Um, so, uh, uh, making sure that you do that and you might not always make the right, you know, make the right decision. Uh, but if you're doing it for the right reasons, it's, it's defendable and, and, uh, uh, and you'll survive through that. And then the, the, uh, the second piece is really around teamwork. Um, uh, you know, there's no limit to what you can do if you want to let somebody else take the credit and, and today's businesses, particularly, uh, with the complexity of what we're talking about and, and the interaction and collaboration, uh, that, uh, you know, there's no, there's no I in team. And, uh, uh, so I think folks that are sort of, um, out, out to advance their career or to, you know, step on somebody else's shoulder to, to get ahead, uh, you kind of sort of see that you might make it a little, you know, one or two steps up the rung, but you're really not going to ultimately succeed. And, and, uh, at the end of the day, people know the value that you add and, uh, and, uh, and being confident in that and not, feeling like you've got to wave your flag and but really uh, 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 how do I support the team how do I ensure that the team wins uh, irrespective of you know uh, whether that benefits me in the long run it, it's uh, it's going to all pay off in the end so those are those are two sort of things that I sort of keep front and center uh, uh, and whenever I have the opportunity to, to um, I, I think those are important from a career standpoint yeah no I think that's great advice and I think I think folks who, you know, perhaps do take a few steps in those directions, you know, uh, hopefully they realize how quickly, you know, people see through those kind of activities. Right. They know if you're if you're doing it for the team and 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 for the mission and, and, and you know looking out for the group versus you know self dealing and something that's just going to help you out. So apparent so quickly to, to everyone in the room and anybody who thinks they can or go that path and, and make it very far is, you know, quickly mistaken. Right. So I think it's, it's yeah. And, and Doug, I would add that the other, the other component, and you mentioned it earlier is sort of how you show up every day. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, you get to choose how you show up. And if you're not taking care of yourself, uh, whether it be physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, financially, if you're not in the right space, um, all those things are going to be sort of distractions uh, to how you show up every day. And, and you're not going to be able to give your 100 or 110 uh, percent to the problem that you're trying to solve. Uh, so I think, you know, a lot of this starts and I, I just sort of echo what you said earlier is, uh, you know, making sure that you've got uh, yourself in, a, in the right place so that you can be the best uh, at what you're uh, what you're doing and what the company's asking you to step up and do, I think, is is, is foundational as well. Yeah, no, and I think and we talk a lot about the, you know, it's the consistent. And I think with this particular topic around optimism, it's, you know, it's it, everyone's optimistic at times and certainly in the face of good news and, and good momentum, as you said. And, you know, those are those aren't when you need to lean on this and, and have the discipline to make to use it. As a principle, right. It's it's the times when, you know, the situation wouldn't lead any anybody necessarily to be optimistic right and that's 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 when you got to show up in that way be consistent right. push through it have have that confidence in the details of the plan that aren't on the page necessarily every day or or that you know or that you've got enough room in the overall strategy to account for the inevitable bumps even though that that might that room or that you know, that capacity to overcome might not be apparent to the team that's facing that particular challenge that day. And, and that's where you got to deliver that. Right. And, and each and every time, like it's, you just, it's the, you know, the consistency of a positive outlook and having that optimism is part of successfully using that. Right. It's, it's not enough a couple days a week or, not enough 18 days out of the 20 working days that month. You know, it's it's got to be every day, every time. Um, and none of us can do that as humans if we don't thoughtfully plan for that, prepare ourselves to be in that mindset. And when we're not, and if we can't get there, get, get out of the room. You know, I, I've told people, take a walk around the block, go get a coffee, take a break, you know, call home, have a different conversation. Find a way to, you know, throw the circuit breakers if you have to, but, you know, do that. Find a way to give yourself the own, your own signals to make sure you do that so you don't, you know, kind of blow the cycle and come in with, a, you know, a bad vibe that, you know, again, yanks everybody off track. Yeah, that reminds me, you know, one of the things that I think is probably another concept that uh, I think that there's a big difference between leading and managing. So, I mean, we have a lot of leaders that are in positions, I'll, I'll say manager positions. And, um, but uh, if these are, when we talk about verbs, the verbs leading and managing, um, you know, managing is uh, I have a known outcome, you know, I've already solved for the equation and I, now I just got to execute and I'm monitoring uh, how I'm executing and it's kind of follow, follow this, you know, A plus B plus C equals, you know, D and, and uh, just go execute. Um, leading often, as we talked about, is uh, uh, inspiring people to go to some, you, you don't really know what that destination, how, how you're going to get, you know where you want to be, but uh, you don't really have that uh, clarity uh, necessarily in all cases of how you're going to lead that organization to that. And, and so uh, all those unknowns and all those permutations of things that could go bump in the night and knowing that um, you know, you're going to learn more. Uh, and, and even though you may lay out a good plan, 
that plan is not going to go perfectly as you laid it out and being able to flex the move and adjust to that. Um, so I think the, um, that agility, uh, that optimism to be able to say, hey, it's okay. Uh, yes, we laid this step out, but it didn't work the way we wanted to. or We didn't make as much progress as we wanted to make. So how are we going to adjust from that and, and be able to pick people up and, and not say, okay, hey, you did not make that. That was a failure and, and really belittle the team. And you, you got to, how do we learn from that? Where else do we have that same potential uh, uh, opportunity? And how do we go make sure that we don't have that again? And so uh, <clears throat> it's a balance between being real, but also being optimistic and, and picking people up and, and dusting them off and, and, and charging ahead. So, I yeah. Think, no. uh, yeah, I think that's I think balance is a good word there, right? Because it's right. you still everyone's still accountable, you know, and, and you, you own your mandate, you own your outcomes. But it's a matter of you know, it's, it's not a, it's not about just letting everybody off the hook saying, oh, it's OK. It's about saying, no, it's 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 OK. It's going to happen. But we're also going to overcome it. And you're and you're going to be the big part of that success in overcoming it. Right. Even though you may have you know, not been able to get it done this time or this cycle or this project, you know, we all go through those, right? But it's right. finding that balance that I think, you know, a lot of folks, I mean, I struggle with at times, right? It's just like, hey, why, you know, why in the heck didn't you get that done? Like, that should have happened, but it didn't. So hold them accountable, but also show them the way forward and make sure that, you know, as a team, we'll get through it. Um, I mean, when you have, when you have one of those, let's, let's picture uh, where you have one of those failures, and what's more engaging and what's more motivating to get the team going forward if, if the team comes in and you're slamming your hand on the table right. saying, hey, this was, you know, this is a big F. Uh, uh, you know, you put us at risk of not meeting this milestone and just other than, hey, let's let's understand what happened here. Why did that happen? Uh, hey, that's OK. We knew that this was, you know, we're, this wasn't going to be a perfect plan. We knew this was a challenge. Uh, what can we do to recover and get people focused on? What do I need to do next and how do we recover from that? And and what do we learn from that uh, so that we don't make that mistake going forward? That's uh, keeping people engaged, keeping people motivated, keeping people saying, hey, you know, I've got it. I now have the accountability to help solve this problem rather than leaving dejected and all that energy going towards, hey, man, maybe I should go find another job. Maybe, you know, maybe this isn't for me. You want that team immediately focused on the, the, the solution. What's next? What do we have to do? What help do you need? Uh, do we need to bring in an expert in that area? We found a problem uh, with EMI or, or, or some uh, illity that we uh, we didn't plan on. And so how do I now go solve for that? And, and what help do you need to be able to do that? That's, that's what motivates people. That's what keeps people uh, engaged uh, at the level you need to be successful. Yeah. And I think recognizing at times that, you know, they're, they're already beating themselves up far worse than you can do anyway. So, you know, exactly. they've already done that in their head. Now it's just get past that as quick as you can and get onto the solution. Exactly. No, I think that's a good, great point. Was there a point, Matt? I mean, I, one of the things I always like to ask in these interviews is where was your, where was your turning point? Cause we, you know, we have a lot of younger folks that, um, you know, they went into engineering for, for a reason, they, they do tend, you know, all of us tend to be at times data-driven, outcome-oriented, focused on, you know, kind of those individual contributor, mm-hmm. right? So we're going to get stuff done, get the answer, get stuff built. Um, where was that point for you where you said, you know, I want to do those things and 
obviously be involved in technical endeavors, but I want to, I want to be focused more on the leadership side versus, and I want to bring people along and learn how to get good at that. Cause I don't, you know, our part of our premise is that leaders you know, are built, not born. And that this isn't some magical, mystical, you know, formula that you either get or don't like we can all work on this and get better and, and, and pursue it. Um, was there a moment for you where you, you know, you said, that's, I want to go that way versus, you know, obviously build on the skill set that, you know, you technically, you know, early on. Right. Yeah. Early on in my career, I, I spent the first, uh, uh, I would say probably five years doing what I would call hardcore mechanical engineering work, design of systems on, on ships and, and uh, various platforms. Um, and then we got into some concept, you know, around year seven or eight, uh, we got into concept design ships. And I'd always been kind of a big picture. I like to see how the whole system works. And and I got asked to be the lead systems engineer for this. And so I started to broaden beyond just the mechanical system to how the whole boat goes together. Uh, and um, uh, and then after that, I really enjoyed that bigger view. And then I got asked to, to uh, help lead sort of some enterprise process improvements, lean, Six Sigma, things that we're doing across the uh, uh, the corporation, and I got exposure to how how people interacted uh, in that process, and how what we design uh, affects how we build it, affects how it operates on the ship, and and the ease or difficulty of which it, whether it be a shipbuilder building the ship or a sailor using the system, and ultimately it's about you know, enabling that sailor to do the mission when he goes off, you know, the, the ship is a piece of hardware, but the ship without the sailors on it, it's really the the, tan, the, uh, the evaluation of how that ship performs in the hands of the sailors. Uh, we actually have on uh, ships, we have what they call an insert score. And uh, one of the unique things about uh, shipbuilding is for nuclear ships is that when we deliver a ship, we deliver a, not only the hardware, but we deliver a trained crew uh, mm-hmm. with the ship. So we have actually crews, we have thousands of sailors inside, in addition to 25,000 people, we have thousands of sailors that are interacting and we're turning over systems, they're operating systems, such that as we deliver the keys to the Navy on those ships, uh, it's, hey, here's the ship and there's a crew that knows how to go use it and, and uh and uh, they're they're taking this thing to sea and, and doing doing the, the nation's business. So, I think that people interaction. When I started to sort of see how the systems I was designing respond in the hands of shipbuilders and the problems or the challenges they were having putting a, a system that I engineered together, right? <laughs> um, or how difficult that was for them and and me uh, getting educated <laughs> on uh, how crappy my design was. Um, um, and what I could do to fix it, but and and really using their knowledge and, and factoring that into what I was doing, it, I, I really started to sort of see the uh, the people and the interaction of the enterprise as a as a system, and how do we set things up and lead uh, uh, to get a different outcome? And it was this uh, system of system of systems, uh, producing complex systems that just really uh, excites me and and. Uh, you know, shipbuilding, like I said, I continue to say, is a, is a team sport. It's a people-driven business, no matter how much technology or uh, data or, you know, it, or, or advanced facilities that we put in place. 
it's going to take the 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 um, hands and heads and hearts of you know all these shipbuilders to to bring these ships to life and and so leading those in a way that uh, uh, gets the best outcome makes them feel part of something bigger than them you know themselves uh, and feeling good about when they go home to work that they've done. Uh, something important for the nation, I think, is uh, that's what excites me. And that's what uh, I, I learned probably, uh, you know, my first supervisory job, sort of, this is what I really enjoy doing. But I still I still like getting into a hard technical problem uh, right. every now and then. So. Well, and the other thing I tell folks is, like, it's not, it's not leaving engineering behind because, you know, and not everybody approaches leadership like this, but we do have the opportunity to approach it this way as engineers is that, you know, I look at building companies and teams and I still feel like we, you know, I approach it the same way as an engineer that I would the technical challenge, right? Right. Down, understand the system of systems. And, you know, it's just that there are human elements and, and emotional elements and, and, you know, it's the people side of that. But I, I think we're uniquely positioned as engineers if we apply those, those fundamental skills to the, you know, the, you're just applying it to a different set of challenges and problems that are, you know, that are quite different being that they're so people oriented versus technical or systems or materials oriented. Um, but the discipline that we've been, you know, lucky enough to be educated in and, and, and have some experience in on, on the engineering side um, can be a useful foundation for that. that, that, that right. You know, it's, it's a, it's a great place to start. It, it's also recognizing that it's a start and not, you know, not the whole tool set that you need. Right. So, Right. But you're right. The, 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 the same thought process. I mean, when we experience a problem, we're breaking it down into what was the root cause of the problem? Was it, you know, a technical issue or was it a process issue or was it a people issue? Uh, and if it's people issue, was it the training, was it the supervision? You know, so it, it, you're doing that same um, system breakdown, if you will. A lot of the, the senior leaders of the, uh, our company, based upon uh, the technical, you know, and we're building nuclear ships uh, by nature, our engine, you know, require an engineering background to have credibility and understand the complexity of the systems you're building. So it's not that that's not important. That's extremely important to be uh, to be credible and, and make sure that you're factoring that into your decision making. But more often than not, the people side of the business is the thing that, uh, uh, is creates the most complexity, whether it be interactions with the supplier, uh, you know, um, uh, interdisciplinary uh, system uh, issues or, or trades that aren't uh, working well together. So, uh, or challenges with the customer. So it's a, uh, it's a uh, people um, being a good people communicator, um, uh, being self-aware um, and, uh, Really perfecting that as a, as part of your skill set is is I don't care whether it's shipbuilding or or any other business that's going to do you well. Right, right. No, great points. Um, you know, before we wrap up, I did want to ask. You know, you mentioned earlier books, podcasts, you know, other resources that you've used along the way. Any any couple of those that uh, really stood out that you want to recommend and and leave folks with. Yeah, uh, I'd say from a podcast, you know, one of the um, uh, one of the things that's important about inspiring people and motivating people is, particularly with today's generation, is uh, connecting people to the why. So just not telling people what you need to do, but you know why you need to do it, why it's important. Um, 
And I think one of the uh, authors and industry leaders in, in, around the uh, why uh, and that, that sort of thread is Simon Sinek. And um, uh, he's a, a great motivational speaker. Uh, there's a lot of great things out there on uh, um YouTube and and uh, um, and the one book that I that I really um, think um, I've read a, several of his, but uh, start with the why and how great leaders inspire people into action. So I think that one's a good good uh, uh, around the topic of optimism, how to inspire others, and 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 so that would be one. I'd, uh, but you can go check him out. Um, he's got some great videos out there, and they're very very uh, engaging and entertaining. The second one that was probably one of the first books as I was getting higher in the organization, starting to talk about changing the organization, uh, is a book called The Tipping Point uh, by Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. And um, a lot of times when you have a large organization um, trying to change that, or there's a lot of mass to move in that organization. And the tipping point, a lot of the premises on the tipping point are how to make your messages sticky, but how to find those um, mavens, if you will, inside uh, your organization that if you can get the right people to believe in what you're doing or believe that uh, that strategy or be optimistic about what you're doing there, um, you can tip in the, the book says, and there's this case, a lot of great business cases in, inside the book, uh, that great examples. You can get 15% of the organization. So you don't need a majority of the organization. Right. You have to find that right 15%, the early adopters that, and so if you think about it, you know, me being a half full uh, type of person, man, I can, I know I can find 15% of the organization and, and we can move that. And then that would cause the rest of the organization to tip and really adopt this at a much faster rate. So I think that that's a great book if you're looking for how to, how to inspire change and, and, and really invoke that. And then the, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, I, I um, I, uh, I, I learn a lot from Dabo Sweeney. <laughs> I mean, um, there's no better, uh, you know, I, when I think about shipbuilding as a, uh, as a team sport, um, you know, in terms of optimism and motivation and the culture that he sets and, and the, 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 the standards that he sets, um, there's a lot of things that uh, I carry with him looking at how he has led that organization over the last decade and, and really how, because it's, again, a complex, large, you know, high-vis organization has to hold high standards, um, you know, and uh, you got to attract and retain. So it's, it's, it's a, you know, not unlike a lot of the things that I've got to do here at Newport News Shipbuilding. And so that, that uh, work ethic and the standards of excellence and the, and, and the culture that he set, uh, I think have been great examples to me. And I've actually used, a, I've actually got, I'll show you this. I've actually got, uh, let me see here, my all-in coin. So uh, I actually give this out. Uh, we actually, is for engaged employees, everybody knows that I, you know, I'm obviously a Clemson fan and uh, a, a Tiger through and through. So um, when we were starting to talk about how we get this engagement uh, and, and motivate others, uh, you know, everybody knows that I, I hand out those all-in coins I hope that's not uh, copyrighted there, but uh, uh, Dabo, I'll, you know, to me, the rule. So, but uh, it, it's uh, it's really interesting. I was uh, at a um, little things like that uh, where you're saying, hey, this is an example. You're sort of celebrating the little wins, and hey, you get one of these all-in coins. You're 
given your commitment and uh, something that, as little as that. We, I went to a uh, master shipbuilder dinner uh, last year and uh, in, there's over a thousand master shipbuilders that have 40 years plus service and, and I given one of these uh, to one of these employees and so I was talking to him in, in uh, kind of buffet line and he and his wife and he pulled this all-in coin out of his pocket. And uh, just that little motivation is that recognition that, uh, hey, yeah, I, I carry this with me everywhere I go. And it was just a simple, you know, simple message to him that said, you're representing what we want in the organization. You're representing excellence. And, and that reminds him every day of what sort of the standard that he wants to hold and, and how he interacts with his peers. So that's about, you know, I, there, I don't. At, at Newport News, I don't weld the first weld. I don't move the first piece of material. You know, uh, I don't. Uh, I don't do any testing on the systems. It's really my job to how do how do we get twenty five thousand people doing that every day and and being all in uh, to what they're doing a day with a purpose. So uh, and and being optimistic about it. So yeah, no, that's an awesome way to, to end this up, Matt. And I think you know, look, I'd like to. I, we always want to. Thank you guys for doing this with us and spending time with us. And also, I think I think from the whole, you know, Clemson and, and Tiger community, we can I can also say that you know we just like thank you and your whole team for for everything you're doing to keep America safe and and, and proud on the seas out there with some just amazing technology and products and, and results that you guys have delivered. So, you know, we're all cheering for you as we all cheer for the Tigers. So, thank you for the work and the effort and and for spending a bit of time with us to share it today. No, Doug, I appreciate the opportunity. We've been we've been building these ships for 130 plus years and hope to be doing it for 130 more. And I hope uh, uh, Clemson's there uh, right alongside of us to, to keep giving us good, great engineers and, and uh, great leaders in the future. So appreciate the time and, and, and the dialogue. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Matt. All right, Chris. Get that? Yeah, man, that was awesome. That was awesome. Where are you? Hey, sorry, I'm uh, I'm picking up my son from camp, but um, so we'll, we won't we won't help this part out, obviously. But um, that, that was awesome, dude. That was great. Good. No, I appreciate it. well, um, I appreciate appreciate that great great uh, facilitation of the session. Hopefully, uh. Hopefully uh, that met the expectation. We hit on optimism enough and, and did not stray too far away from that. Yeah, no. And it's, you know, we like to always rally around, you know, the, the primary topic. We did, you did an awesome job covering that. And I love to get into just the personal commentary. People always want to know, you know, how'd you get there and what were those key steps? And, and uh, so it's always, I appreciate being willing to share, you know, personal details of the journey. And it's not always easy, but it's, it's, poignant to folks and it's really what i think we've learned resonates with them a lot um Good. so appreciate that and yeah we'll we'll get this and you know we um well we've got several out there now so you've just kind of seen you know we'll we'll strip the audio out and and i've got a guy i've got a producer that works with me called ben fanning that I, i've actually used him for my i, I found him for company work because we have i've got the biggest part of my workforce is is out over the road. They're in stores. They're, you know, they're not at my site. You know, so it's uh, right. and particularly for drivers. You know, I can't send them lengthy missives to read. I don't want them to have to stay. You know, after they've put in a whole shift, I don't want to have to add time to their day to you know 
meet in a classroom or, you know, so the one way I've found to meet them is, is an audio because it's the one thing they can safely do while they're working and driving. And it actually helps keep them engaged. But we we're using that. We started with that to sort of drive, you know, communications to them and a way to engage that didn't met them where they are. And so I was working with Ben on that and I said, Hey, can you, can you help us with this? So he'll go through and basically go through, you know, listen to the whole session. He'll pull out quotes, you know, three or four or five quotes that he thinks, you know, had the most impact or most notable kind of summarize it. And then he does a little intro, maybe a one minute voiceover that sort of introduces the episode. So we'll get that done. We'll share that with you, of course. And then that'll, that'll, that'll release. And then the, and then, then we do the same thing with the videos with a quick intro um, and outro, you know, just a package. But right. And outside of that, what we do is, um, and sort of my, my big mission now is to take all 17 of these um, and I've got about, I've got about seven of the chapters done, but I'm basically hammering those into a book. And so, you know, you guys will all be cited and, 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 you know, contributors and, and we'll, I really want us to promote it as a team and go to market and say, Hey, you know, this isn't, this isn't Doug's book. This is just, this is 17 engineering leaders <coughs> who've all, you know, made plenty of mistakes, but had tremendous success and found ways to, you know, succeed in this journey as an engineer. Um, and that and we're also hoping, and, you know, Anand's been through several of those chapters we submitted to him. We want to convert those not into just a, you know, a business book that's kind of an easy read, but, you know, useful to folks, like some of them we've mentioned today, but also forms the basis of the curriculum where we can have that become a bit of a textbook as well, you know, with coursework, right. you know, follow on and, and some testing around it. Say, hey, did you, you know, get the material? that's kind of the next phase. So we're, we're pretty well, this will be the, I think this is our last episode in terms of finishing out the initial 17. Um, and we'll, we wanted to get all the materials. Out. Now we'll start working on more of the curriculum materials and the, and the finished book to do that. And then, um, you know, beyond that, who knows where it takes us. Chris and I have talked about, and the Clemson team is supportive. We think we'll probably do, one of these a month just in perpetuity add on, you know, so we'll, we'll, we'll take the topics and repeat them, but with totally different leaders. Right. I think once we get it out there and folks see, Hey, I'd like, you know, I've got some experience I'd like to talk about. And there's hundreds and hundreds of successful Clemson engineers out there, you know, that I think could help us contribute back to the, to the younger generation. And that, you know, part of my mission was how do we make this easy for folks to do so that, well, they don't wait till they're retired and then have time on their hands to engage, right? Like how do we, you know, for current business leaders, you know, if you come back to campus, we want to make sure you've got a way to have a speaking engagement, fill an auditorium, connect with the kids, and not have to go figure all that out on your own, you know, because that's what I was trying to, you know, I was coming back and I was like, Chris, we got to find a way to like make this easier for folks because we do a lot more and we'll do it. And, you know, we'll get a lot bigger benefit with, with the folks that are coming through the school. So that's why the speaking series and stuff, we're trying to get those established where, you know, it might be two years before you can make one, but we want to have them set up where when you get that chance to get back to campus for a game or right. you know, there's a venue, it's all established. There's a path to go down and, and you don't have to invent all that to, you know, to have an engagement opportunity with the kids. So. No, I think it's great. I, I, I always look for ways to give back, you know, and, uh, um, so I think this is a, to me when Doug and Chris broached the subject with me, I was like, yeah, I'm, you know, let me know. I, I apologize for us having to reschedule, but I had a, uh, yeah, no um, worries. Yeah. But, 
But no, I, I, uh, so anything else you need from me to, to support that, let me know. I, I, I'll, uh, we usually get back to campus, you know, at least a couple times a year. Um, and then I'm on a couple of the boards. So, um, so we'll find a, an opportunity to, and, and, and this will be a good springboard topic. And, and uh, I just, to me, the interaction that you get in dialogue with the students and just sort of imparting some of the, your school of hard knocks there and what, what uh, uh, I, I think is super invaluable. So yeah. Um, and I get, and, I, and I'm sure you feel the same. I get, it's, I get so charged up by it, right? I mean, it's just such an opportunity to see the light go on with these guys. And, and you know, and I just wish, you know, cause I think about, I mean, a lot of the opportunities I had to do that in at Clemson weren't, were just sort of happy, you know, they were good luck, I think in many ways, right? Like I, you know, yeah. whether social or fraternity or, you know, on campus groups, it, it wasn't, there really wasn't a lot of that in the curriculum itself and, and not everybody went outside the curriculum to find those things. So that's part of what we're trying to do is inject it back in where kind of everybody gets a chance to experience it. It's, it's part of our, our hopes. Yeah, I think that, that, no, I, I appreciate the time. So I will, uh, will most of that be through your office? Your, so I look for stuff from you. Or is that going to be back through Chris or? It'll be through both of us. We've got, basically there's three of us working on this. I've got uh, Laura Varn is, is, She's a marketing communications sort of HR personnel expert. So she's working with me on it. Um, Chris is working on it with me. You know, we've set up an actual uh, nonprofit foundation to just host everything. So someday if the, you know, if we sell the books or anything like that, all the money go in there and then, you know, and then we'll send it back to the universities. You know, our hope is someday sponsor full professorships in this stuff. So we can actually take the whole curriculum and. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That'd be leadership for it. So, you know, again, I figure. The more people we get engaged, the better chance we have of having that happen at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got really good, and Anand's got his own vision for this. We've got awesome support from the dean. Um, and then Laura was meeting. I actually wasn't in the meeting yesterday, but we met with with Clemson's PR and comms group. So they're going to that now that the material's getting finished, they'll start figuring out how do they want to get it into the marketplace, get it in front of students, get it in front of alumni. Um, so you'll see stuff from them as well. But um, okay. Really look forward to, and I look forward to meeting you at some point in person. And you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, we'll uh, we'll definitely connect here in the not too distant future. So, um, but um, appreciate the uh, appreciate the the opportunity again. Really excited about it. So, uh, you all reach out if you need anything from me. And uh, I think I sent Chris uh, uh, my bio and photo. Uh, yeah. Cindy uh, EA sent that out this morning. So we'll. Uh, um, but anything else you need to support, let me know. Okay. I appreciate it, man. Thanks, Matt. Engineering Leadership is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping engineers enhance their leadership skills. You can download resources to accelerate your leadership skills by going to www.engineering-leadership.com.